0: Welcome to First Presbyterian Church in North Palm Beach, Florida. We exist to help people pursue and share gospel-driven lives. We hope, whether you're investigating faith, a seasoned follower of Jesus, and anywhere in between, this podcast helps you connect with Jesus. And good morning. My name is Annabelle McIntosh. I'm one of the seminary interns here at First Prez, and I'm so happy to see that all of you have come uh, out here to worship together. Um, Some of you might know I've actually only been attending First Prez since this past January, and uh, whenever people ask what my experience has been, I tell them about the overwhelming atmosphere of peace in this place of how from the very first time I sat in these pews to every Sunday following, um, I've just been overwhelmed by uh, the safety and the comfort and the encouragement I find here. And so if this is your church home, I just wanted to take a second and say thank you for your role in that, for creating that, for showing the love of Christ so well. And if you're new to First Prez, um, I, it's my prayer that this place will be the same to you As it has been to me. Um, So I don't have a beard and the octave of my voice is significantly different and I haven't started off the sermon with a quote from a really intelligent dead guy yet so you're probably wondering (laughs) where's Pastor Jared? (laughs) And Pastor Jared is in Scotland right now. I got got a text from him this morning because he's uh, in a doctoral program that he's taking online but they meet twice a year And so, this is one of those times, and so he's visiting some pretty historic places to the Christian faith. Uh, But last year, he continued in our sermon series on the road and looked at the life of Abram, who we know better as Abraham, and how God uses the most unlikely of people to display his glory. And so, today, we're going to be looking at the continuation of that theme in Abraham's uh, grandson, Jacob. So if you want to turn to the scripture now, we'll read that story. We're going to be reading from Genesis 28, verses 10 through 22. Genesis 28, verses 10 through 22. Let's read God's word. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this place that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house, and all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me before we go into the rest of the message? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we acknowledge your presence in this place, God, and we're grateful for it, that we get to come here and hear from your word and what you want to speak into our lives. So, God, I I pray that you give us open eyes and open ears that we would be attuned to your spirit. God, we want to hear from you. If any of my words be not of you, Lord, do not let them stick. Only your glory will be portrayed today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, so I don't know about you, but when I read the story of Jacob's dream, Uh, I get a little jealous and a little self-conscious about my own dreams because I do not regularly dream of the heavens opening up and angels ascending down and giving a clearly phrased generational promise. I wish. (laughs) No, no, no. My dreams are vivid, narrative, and relentless. But no divine proclamations being had. I did, however, once dream about a staircase. And I'm going to share it with you because um, this was one of the worst dreams that I've ever had in my whole life, and misery likes company. So, in this dream, about a year ago, I went on a trip to Jordan, and I was with a team, and for five consecutive nights, I had the same dream, to the point where my team members would ask me if I was okay and if it happened again, and the answer was no and yes, unfortunately. And so in this dream, I was, I was standing on top of this staircase and there was nothing really next to me except the walls. There was no pictures. The, the, I don't even remember the color of the walls and I couldn't turn to look to see what was behind me but all there was in front of me was just stairs and stairs and stairs and stairs going into an abyss. And at the top of this stairs, I was struggling to hold on to a really heavy, a really slippery, moving tortoise (laughs) and I don't know quite why my subconscious chose that as the burden I had to bear but there I was holding this giant tortoise and as time went on I had the same amount of upper body strength apparently as I do in real life and I was shaking and I was struggling and my grip would slip and eventually I just couldn't do it anymore and I dropped the tortoise down the staircase and he would roll and roll and roll and the sound of his shell cracking at every single step he hit haunts me to this day. And so I'd frantically run after him, and I'd pick him up, and I, would, and I would try to hold on to him. But then this terrible cycle would keep happening, and I couldn't hold on, and I'd drop him, and he would roll, and he would slip, and he would crack. And it was terrible. I would wake up every morning feeling like a monster. And I'm sure there's something to be psychoanalyzed about that dream. I have my theories, but the point is... It was completely outside of my control. We don't participate in our dreams. When we go to sleep, the walls and the guards that we've set up in place are laid down. We rest from the met and the unmet responsibilities, and we escape from the realities of life. And it's in this non-participative, vulnerable state that we find God revealing himself to Jacob. And this is significant not just because of what God reveals. The content of the dream is amazing. We'll get to that in a minute. But this is actually the very first time Scripture tells us that Jacob ever encounters God. And if you don't know a little bit, if you don't know Jacob's background, I mentioned earlier that he's the grandson of Abraham and the son of Isaac. And these three men are considered the patriarchs of Israel. And they have a trifold family promise given to him. And and this promise was first given in Genesis twelve with Abram, who at that point was ninety-nine, he's childless. And God speaks to him and says, Leave your land and go to another. It'll be called the promised land. And I will give you as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. And he was faithful, and so was God. And so Isaac was born. And then in Genesis 26, we see Isaac grown with a wife. And in a time of famine, he's trying to provide. So he's trying to leave to go to Egypt. And God stops him, appears in a vision, and says, no, don't dwell in the land I've given you. I will provide for you. And I will bless you. And you'll have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. And Isaac was faithful. And so was God. And so Isaac had two twin sons, Esau and Jacob. And right before Genesis 28 and Genesis 27, we see Jacob's narrative start to pick up. And Jacob, in the line of his family, of kept promises, of obedience, of faithfulness, sticks out like a sore thumb. Because from very first day of his life, he differs from his family. The name given to him, Jacob, comes from the original Hebrew word, Akhev, which literally translates to take by the heel. And that's a cultural expression amongst the Hebrews to deceive, to trick, to swindle. And so from the very first moment of Jacob's life, he's a deceiver a really hard label to put on yourself but to be fair Jacob really didn't do much to dispel it he actually lived into it and in Genesis 27 we find the scene of Isaac of Isaac on the last days of his life he's blind he's dying and he's divvying up his possessions his will and while Esau is off preparing Isaac's final meal probably torn up in emotional turmoil Jacob is off with his mother in a manipulative scheme to try and steal what would go to Esau, his birthright, his blessing, and take it for himself. And so he's putting on Esau's clothes. He puts goat skin on his arms because apparently Esau was really hairy and he was worried that if Isaac reached out and touched him, his cover would be blown. He is dedicated to this deceit. And so he goes in, into Isaac's tent, and he looks into the cloudy eyes of his father for the very last time, and he lies to him. He's horrendously motivated, but successful. He got the blessing. He got the birthlight. And when Esau found out, he came back and he vowed to kill Jacob. So Jacob fled. And that's where we find him right here before this dream. We find him in a dusty, desolate terrain, alone, empty-handed, a scoundrel. He's lying on the hard ground, and if he looked up at the stars hanging in the sky, he would have remembered the promise given to his grandfather and to his father from a God he had never met, and he was unworthy to be known by. Desolate, vulnerable, asleep. This is when our God, in all of his majesty and in all of his splendor, decides to reveal himself. So, what does God reveal? Um, heaven, so hats off to God, because he loves a dramatic entrance. In, Ge- in Genesis 28, verse 12, we see a ladder, or as scholars depict it, a staircase. They say that's a more accurate translation of a staircase connecting heaven and earth so that divine beings, so that he himself can come down. And in verse 13, we see after God has established kingdom on earth, him identifying himself. He goes, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. How many stories do you think Jacob heard of this God growing up? sitting at the feet of his grandfather, sitting at the feet of his father. And here he is, having a direct encounter. Him towering over him. And the ground that he was laying on, the hard ground became holy ground. Verses 13 to 15 Show the content of the promise. God is reestablishing his promise that he had given to Abraham and to Isaac, and now he's giving it to Jacob. It's a threefold promise. It has three parts to it. The first part is, I am with you. God promises his presence. The second part is, I will keep you. God promises his protection, his provision. And the third part is a blessing. It's a promise of homecoming. Jacob is promised being accompanied by God. He's promised reconciliation. All things that he is currently lacking and in this moment the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac became the God of Jacob. It's a beautiful moment. And how did How did Jacob respond? We see part of his response in verse 20. I'll go ahead and reread it. It says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that I, you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Do you know what stands out to me in this, in his response? It's the first word. If. 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 Jacob is still a bargainer. He's still trying to cut the best deal. He just put a condition on God. He says, yeah, God, if you give me these things, then I'll worship you. Then you'll be my Lord. If you're good to your word, then I'll serve you. And as frustrated as I want to be with Jacob in this, like, come on, you just saw heaven break open and angels ascend and descend right next to you. You don't think God's good for it? (laughs) As tempted as I am, it would be hypocritical. Because we do the same thing. We put conditions on our worship. We present counter offers to God. We say if. We say things like, yeah, God, I'll worship you if I'm in a church that I think is perfect. If I'm in a church that I think is doing it right. Yeah, God, I'll worship if I'm happy, if I'm in the mood for it. Yeah, God, I'll worship if this relationship works out. Yeah, God, I'll worship if my kids forgive me and they come back. We say ifs all the time. What's yours? What condition are you putting on God? But here's the thing. Jacob only had two generations to shape his faith, only two generations to guide his response. And that's where we differ. Do me a favor. If you don't have your physical Bible out yet, go ahead and and pull it out. There's pew Bibles in front of you if you want to go ahead and, and grab that. Just hold it. And then go to our place in Genesis 28. Keep your place, but then also turn to John 1, 51. And then hold the pages like this, just in between your fingers, so you can feel it. So right before verse 51, Jesus is talking to one of his newly called disciples, Nathanael and Nathaniel just showed extraordinary faith. Jesus showed him one cool thing and Nathaniel's like, "You're the Messiah." And Jesus thinks it's amazing. So this is his response to Nathaniel. He says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man." Angels ascending and descending. Sound familiar? Genesis 28, a ladder, a staircase connecting heaven and earth where angels ascend and descend, the commerce of divine presence. John 1, 51, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, as that connection. The promise given to Jacob in Genesis 28, in full fulfillment in John 1, 50, 1. And what's in between your hands right here, right here? 1,700 years of God ensuring that that would be so. Of God keeping his promises. He kept his promise to Jacob. He protected him. He stayed with him. He even reconciled him with his family. Scripture tells us that when he and Esau reconnected for the first time, it was in a warm embrace after decades. That can only be done by God's grace. And he blessed Jacob and he gave him 13 children, 12 of which went on to go be the tribes of Israel, and they grew and they multiplied. And in times of famine, God remembered his promise to provide. And so he created a way for the Israelites to go into Egypt because of the obedience and the appointment of Joseph, one of Jacob's sons. And as time went on and the Egyptians turned on the Israelites and they oppressed them and they enslaved them, God remembered his people and his promise and he delivered them. He delivered them through Moses and Aaron and Miriam and brought them into the wilderness. But they disobeyed, and they turned their back. So God established a covenant, the law, and he promised that there would be one to come that would be the complete fulfillment of that law. But it was set in place so that their sin didn't mean an end of relationship. And God eventually brought them back into the promised land, gave them triumph over their enemies and established a powerful kingdom under the reign of King David, of which God promised the coming Messiah would come from his line. And as time went on, and the kings of Israel fell, and they were morally depraved, he sent prophets. He sent teachers to warn them, to instruct them, and told them that there would be a king coming that would never fail and that would defeat the sting of sin and death. But They didn't listen. They didn't remember his promise. And kingdoms came, and they took over the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, and eventually the Romans. But God kept his promise and never left them. And he sent his son, the son of man, who through his life, death, and resurrection, not just the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can know God, but that anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. God kept his promises. And do you know what's in between the end of this book into this morning? 2,000 years of church history Of Christian history, of that gospel, that good news spreading across the world, from nation to nation, countless people encountering God's love, the ends of the earth being reached. We're the ends of the earth. The gospel started in the middle of the Middle East. This is North America, Florida. But you're here today. Because God is no longer at the stop of the top of the stairwell. He's here with us now. Our God is a promise maker and a promise keeper, and it is no longer a question of if. So what has God promised you? Well, if you're a believer, let me remind you some of the things that God has promised you. He promises unconditional love grace and mercy when we repent from our sins, from a heavenly father who does not grow weary of our forgiveness. He doesn't roll his eyes and give it it begrudgingly. He delights in it. Your promised open arms and a warm embrace. He promises the gift of the Holy Spirit, access to his presence and power and the joy that comes with it. What makes this life worth living? He says we'll go through hard times, but he promises that if we lean on him, we'll be sustained and we'll find a strength beyond our own. He promises that none of this will be wasted, that none of our pain and our hardship will be wasted, and there will come a day, a new day, a new creation where we will experience relief and live for eternity with the one who loves us. And some of you have individual promises that God has given you, that he's appointed over your life. And you're confident that he spoke it, but maybe you're getting weary and waiting for it to be fulfilled. And to that, I just want to encourage you, pray for patience. For as he said to Jacob in verse 15, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And so he says to you, Patience is hard. But his presence and his assurance makes it easier. And maybe you're not a believer. Or maybe you're still exploring what Christianity is about. And you might be thinking you're exempt from these promises. And that's not true. God has some promises for you as well. He's promised to never stop pursuing you. Never. He promises to never stop trying to show you how much he loves you because you are too valuable to him to lose. And that's why he did this. That's why he did all of this so that you can know his love. So do not withhold your worship. Don't put ifs in your prayers. Stand on the firm foundation of his proven faithfulness and continue with confidence, for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is your God. Let's pray to Him now. God, we come before you grateful that you continue to use the most unlikely of people, God, to demonstrate your goodness. It is only by your goodness that you. Would encounter us, God, in all of our faults, and so we just praise you for your mercy, God. I, I ask that as we go out this week, and in the coming weeks, that we would have a newfound sense of rest, of rest of anxieties, because we know that you are a promise maker and a promise keeper, and we stand firm on that. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. We love you, and in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us at FPC. For more info and to connect with us, check out www.firstpreznpb.org.